Book of Numbers and chapter 10. And we're breaking into the chapter at the 29th verse. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 29. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we're journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good, for the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be unto us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou wilt go with us, yea, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. Ending there, we know that the Lord will certainly add the blessing to the reading of his inspired and inerrant word. Let's just pause for a brief moment's prayer. Father in heaven, we again come into your presence in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus. We give you thanks, Lord, for the gospel. And we pray that Uh, All who are gathered in tonight uh, might pay uh, particular heed to its message. And if there be any uh, as yet who know not the Saviour in a personal way, that they might come to know him whom to know is life eternal. Pray that you would help us. Pray that your spirit would be in our midst. And pray that you would speak through your word tonight. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Have you ever had an invitation that you were reluctant for one reason or another to take up? I remember on a couple of occasions we had uh, friends in Ballyclare who had season tickets for Old Trafford. And of course being a big Man U fan that was always a draw. And occasionally they would they'd ring me up and say we can't use the tickets, um, we'll send them to you if you can use them. And I remember full well on a couple of occasions as it got towards the end of one season, I got these phone calls, but on each occasion, I was a little bit reluctant to go for one reason or another. Sometimes the reason was genuine. At other times, it was just something else I wanted to do and couldn't quite fit it in. And so I passed it up. Swayed by it, yes, no doubt. But in the end having to pass it up. In the passage before us, we see Moses inviting Hobab, his brother-in-law, to join the Hebrews on their way to Canaan, the promised land. It is a wonderful picture, is it not, of the invitation of the Lord Jesus to poor sinners to join with the glorious company of believers on their way to glory. Here's the question. Will you accept or reject this invitation? 
Because you see, the Lord Jesus is inviting you, each and every one, uh, to come. To come with him. With him. To come with him. And to experience the joys of heaven and salvation. Now there are several things about this invitation and Hobab's response to it, Hobab's response to it, that I want us to notice this evening. First of all, consider the grand privilege. We are journeying. We're journeying. They were on their way to Canaan, the promised land, the place that they were told that was a land that flowed with milk and with honey. The believers, you and I, as Christians, we're on our way to Emmanuel's land. Canaan was a place of temporal blessings. Heaven is a place of eternal blessings. Of heaven, the half has not been told. It's a place where there's no more sin. There's no more separation. There's no more sorrow. It's a wonderful place. A place of tremendous blessing. Where those who go will enjoy the bounties of their heavenly father throughout the countless ages of eternity. But will you go there? That's the question. See, there are some who say, well, actually everybody goes to heaven. Actually, when we die, we'll all go there. And we've heard it many a time, I'm sure, at a funeral service, uh, where the preacher gets up and says, well, uh, she's looking down upon us now. Or he's having a great time up there. Well, how would they know? But one thing's for sure, many people of whom that is said will never be anywhere near heaven. Because in their life's experience, they've never trusted Jesus Christ. Never. A grand pilgrimage on our way to heaven. The very moment I believed and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my own and personal saviour, I was bound for that place. And the same is true of you if you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But sadly, that's not somewhere that you're headed for if you're not saved. That's not somewhere where you'll be going if you're not a Christian. That's somewhere that that you'll know nothing about if as yet you have not received the invitation and accepted God's so free salvation. But then secondly, consider with me the gracious plea. Come thy with us. Come thy with us. It was an offer of salvation to join this redeemed company on their way to their inheritance. Have you ever received an offer of salvation? Has someone ever spoken to you and invited you to come to Christ? Has someone ever said to you, you need to be saved and explained to you that this is how you can be saved? Is it something you've ever considered? Well, if it isn't, I want you to consider it this evening. I want you to uh, think about it and think about it hard. 
<laughs> and understand that even though you might get the invitation tonight, it might be the last invitation you ever receive to come to Christ. Come thou with us. It's an offer to be saved. It's an offer of salvation. It's an offer of service. Look at verse 31. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. This man, Hobab, would have enjoyed not just the privilege of being numbered among the company of God's people, but actually the privilege also of being service to the Lord and his people. Imagine being of service to the Lord and his people. If we were asked to serve an earthly king or queen or a president or prime minister, we would count it a privilege, would we not? How much more of a privilege would it be if we were asked to serve the King of Kings. It's not a burden being a Christian and serving the Lord. Some people think, oh, I couldn't do that. It's a terrible burden. Why would I burden myself with that? It's no burden at all. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a privilege. It, it's something uh, that's good. It, it's something that's beneficial. It's something wonderful. Every day, I'm glad that I've uh, been able uh, and, and given the privilege to serve the Lord. But then I want you to notice thirdly, the glorious promise. We will do thee good. Verse 32, And it shall be, if thou wilt go with us, yea, it shall be that what goodness uh, the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. We'll do thee good, said Moses. You see, for Hobab to accept this invitation would bring him three things. We've already alluded to the first, salvation. Salvation. You might say, well, well, what is this salvation? Well, salvation is being personally related to Jesus Christ. Salvation is being sure of heaven. Salvation is being certain of sins forgiven. Someone will say, well, how do I get saved? What what does it really mean? Well, you know, there was a man in the New Testament who asked the very question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer came back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now I want you to notice something. It doesn't say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's one thing, you see, to believe in someone. But that doesn't save us. The devil even believes in Christ in that respect, in that he knows all about him and uh, understands who he is and what he did and what he's going to do. But the devil isn't saved, of course. It's believe on. It's, it's to trust. It's to rely. In 2014, we as a family went to Merhofen in Austria. And it was probably the last holiday that we would have as a family uh, together. We knew that after that the boys would go off and holiday on their own somewhere. 
So we decided to make it a big holiday. And we, we said to them, you know, pick a few things, something that you wouldn't maybe normally do on holiday, and, and let's really go for it. Make it the best holiday ever. And so they decided on a couple of things. Wild water rafting was one. The other was parasending. So, of course, if they did it, I had to do it with them. And it came to the parasending bit. Now, that was interesting. I'm a pretty big chap, but I was a little bit bigger in 2014. And the guy looked at me and he said, "Mm, I'm not sure whether you're going to make it or not, buddy. You're just a little bit too big on the belly. So after a little while, a bit of deliberation, he decided, yeah, okay, you're just about, just about get in. Put me on the scale. And he said, you're just about qualified. You can go with us. So great. I thought, here we go, parasending up the mountain uh, in the cable car. And the two lads were uh, immediately taken away off to the right to the site where you, you jump off. He had another look at me and he said, you can't go off this site. You're going to have to go to another site. So we got the backpack on and uh, followed him up about a quarter of a mile to another part of the mountain. And where the lads went off was steep, but where I was going off was even steeper. Now, you might ask yourself the question, why would you jump off a perfectly good mountain? Well, I asked myself that question several times as I was preparing to do just that. But anyway, uh, we, we got strapped on. He was on behind me, and he decided to go for it. So he said, when I say go, you run as fast as you can. If I shout aboard, then you've got to stop. So he goes, run. And I ran as fast as I could, and then abort, abort, abort. And I had to stop. Getting ready the first time was difficult. Getting ready the second time was almost impossible. But anyway, we did. Shouted run, and he ran jumped off the mountain and into the air. And it was the most wonderful experience. But one thing was sure. I had to do absolutely everything that he asked me to do. I had to depend upon him completely. Everything was out of my control. It was all now in his control. I was trusting not only in him, but on him. Dear friends, if you're going to be saved, you've got to trust not only in him, but on him. You see, he's the only one that can save you. Peter says it, doesn't he? Uh, In his uh, speech uh, recorded in Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation uh, under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. There's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. No other way of salvation. No other way in which we can be saved. No other way in which we can be sure of heaven. Only in and through Christ. What was it that Jesus did in order to secure our salvation? Why he died on the cross. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. Uh, We were the ones who committed the crime. We were the ones who were the sinners. We were the ones who deserved a condemnation. We were the ones who deserved to be crucified. But Jesus died in our place. He took our sins upon him and he paid for them, each and every one, there on the cross, sins past, present and future. And therefore we can be sure of our salvation. 
But dear friend, you must come. You must come. It's no good looking at it from a distance. It's no good observing it afar off. We must come. We must come and accept his offer of salvation. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But not only salvation, also safety. Safety. Moses promised Hobab safety. He would have the safety of the company of the Hebrews on his way to the promised land. He would be of service, yes, but he would enjoy the safety of that company. Dear friends, we enjoy the safety of an eternal security. Our salvation is not for today or tomorrow or for next week or next year only. It's forever. It's forever secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. I love the words of uh, the Apostle Paul as he concludes this chapter. Verse 35 of Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, says Paul, there's nothing can separate us from Christ. We have that safety guaranteed. We always like to think that we're safe, don't we? You know, I... I'm always a bit apprehensive and nervous about going up cable cars and things like that, and even flying in an airplane. And I like to think that I'm going to be safe, that I'm going to be secure, that there's somebody there who knows what they're doing. Well, when it comes to my salvation, I'm absolutely certain that I'm safe, that I'm secure, because my salvation doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon Christ. Not only do we have that passage, but many, many more passages, including those passages which tell us that he holds us in his hand and nothing can praise us out. We're not only saved, but we're secure. But then I want you to notice something else. Thirdly, satisfaction. It seems to me uh, that even a cursory reading of this passage uh, suggests uh, that uh, as Moses speaks to Hobab, uh, he's, he's saying to him uh, that this will bring you satisfaction like nothing else will. It will give you a purpose. And dear friends, when it comes to our salvation, that's exactly what's happened to us. We've been given a purpose. We've been given a purpose. We're satisfied in Christ. Think about it for a moment. Does the world satisfy you? The world is nothing that satisfies us. Yes, it's true. For a season, perhaps, we may get pleasure out of the world and the things of the world. But does that ultimately satisfy us? No, it doesn't. Because the world's pleasures are fleeting. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord. But ah, the waters failed. 
There's nothing in the world to satisfy us. Nothing to hold us. Nothing to thrill our souls. We are left empty. King Solomon in the Bible wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote it from the perspective of someone who wasn't a believer. And his conclusion, having tried everything that life had to offer, was this. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There was nothing that he found in life that satisfied him. And the same is true for you, dear friend. If you haven't yet discovered it, you will. There's nothing in life that truly will satisfy you. You'll always find that it comes up empty. For some, they go the way of wildness. And they go out into the world uh, seeking to get as much out of the world as they can. But it doesn't satisfy. The prodigal son was like that, but he found that it didn't satisfy. And there are others who go in for uh, religiosity and they, uh, they, they go into religion in a big way. They, they do all the things that uh, they think religion demands of them. And they're just the same. They're unsatisfied. Because religion can't satisfy us. Only Christ can satisfy us. And the invitation that we issue tonight is for you to trust him. For you to believe in him. That brings us to the great problem. Listen to the words of Hobab as he responds to this invitation. I will not go, but will depart to my own land and to my kindred. Why do you think Hobab might have chosen to do so? Why do you think he may have rejected this invitation? Well, uh, perhaps he would have done so for fame. You, you see, his father was priest of Midian, and that was a title that was hereditary. Uh, possibly he thought, well, if I go with Moses and the company of the Hebrews uh, into the promised land, uh, then I'm going to uh, forsake uh, the, the fame that I would have uh, when I inherit my father's title and become the priest of Midian. Of course, there are many people who do the very same thing uh, for fame. They, they reject the, the gospel invitation. And they say no to Jesus Christ. Because they think that in some way it will prevent them from being famous. And it may do, who knows. But is fame going to keep you from salvation? Is that what's going to keep you from being saved? Perhaps he did it for family. It could be that he didn't want to offend his family. I mean, think about it for a moment. He was in line to inherit his father's title. Don't you think that his father would have been proud of him? Don't you think that his father would have been looking forward to the day when he would hand over his, his titles to this son? Don't you think the family uh, would have held him in a certain uh, respect? And maybe it was because of family that he decided that he couldn't go with Moses. 
And you see, there are many people today, and that's exactly what it is for them. Uh, they think that if they, they trust Christ for salvation, if they join the company of believers, uh, that that will offend their family. And, of course, they wouldn't want to offend their family. They're prepared to go to hell rather than offend their family. And, dear friend, the reality is there are many who have missed out on the opportunity of salvation because they've chosen not to offend the family. They've chosen to please the family instead of pleasing God. Is that what's keeping you from becoming a Christian? Is that, what, is that what's keeping you from trusting Christ? Family ties or family traditions? Well, of course, it could have been for his future. Maybe he considered the future of the Hebrews to be dangerous and uncertain. And at the same time, he would have known what his future was if he had stayed and gone back to Midian, next to line for the priesthood. Was it his future that decided him not to go with Moses? Uh, was it that he considered that if he, if he chose to go with, with Moses and, and chose the God of Moses, uh, that actually it may have curtailed his opportunities in the future, that it may have held him back? Uh, maybe he knew that in doing so, there were certain things that he would never experience again, uh, certain things that he would miss out on. Of course, there are many who think in exactly the same way. They think to themselves, well, Actually, I'm not going to become a Christian because I know that if I become a Christian, it may actually curtail uh, what I could do in the future. And they count the cost and reason that for them it's too much. Not realizing that actually we could gain the whole world and lose our souls. And what would the advantage be to us? Are there any of these things that apply to you tonight, dear friend? Are you not accepting the invitation for reasons of fame? Are you rejecting uh, the gospel message because of, of family? I know people who uh, trusted Christ and they went and told their family and, and their family was less than pleased. I know some people who were, who were tossed out into the street because their family were enraged that they trusted Christ. The cost is high or can be high, but it's worth it. It's well worth it. Or maybe in your circumstances, it's, it's the future. Maybe what you're involved in, what you're doing, you know that you'd, you'd have to give it up if you came to Christ. You know that the Lord wouldn't approve of what you're doing of how you're seeking to make your living or how you're seeking to make your way in the world. And you'd have to give it up. And maybe you're not prepared to do that. Oh, dear friends, what Hobab was prepared to give up? What are you prepared to give up? Then there's the gentle... Persuasion. Leave us 
not. Leave us not. Don't leave us. Don't do it, Hobab. Moses loved him. There's no doubt about that. So he pleaded with him to come. We could write over this today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We could see in this uh, the story that's told in the New Testament of our Lord Jesus uh, who spoke to the rich young ruler uh, and uh, spoke to him uh, very precisely uh, about what he needed to do. And the rich young ruler didn't want to do it and so he, he walked away and the Bible tells us that Jesus loved him. But he let him go. Dear friend, I want to tell you that God loves you. But he is prepared to let you go. God loves you and Christ died for you. He gave his life as a ransom for your lost soul. He went all the way to Calvary that you might be saved. We often sing the hymn, Wounded for Me, Wounded for Me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. There's a story told of events around the end of the First World War where at a, a military hospital, the Prince of Wales came for a visit. World War I, coming to an end. Prince of Wales uh, came to visit. He went round the wards and he saw some really horrific sights. And he, he said to the, the doctors that were escorting him, is this all of the sick boys in this hospital? And the doctor said, pretty much, but there is, there is one, but he's, he's really too sick for you to see. Oh no, said the Prince of Wales, I want to see him. And then he went to this room where there's a young boy in his late teens just lying Blinded by the effects of mustard gas. Lost an arm and a leg. And he was dying. There was really not much hope for this boy. And the prince just stood there with the tears rolling down his cheeks. And he turned to the doctors and he said, He was wounded for me. He was wounded for me. Dear friends, the Lord Jesus Christ was wounded for you. Yes, for you. He gave his life as a ransom for your lost soul. When he hung there and died on the cross, your name was on his mind. As he bled and died on Mount Calvary. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to respond to this gracious invitation? Or are you going to pass up the opportunity? Are you going to say yes to Jesus? Or are you going to walk out of the building tonight and remain in an unsaved condition? Lost. Lost. See, the problem is some people say, yeah, okay, I'll think about it tomorrow. I'll consider it next week. Some young people say, oh, I'm too young at the moment to be saved. I'll, I'll consider being saved another time. I have plenty of time left, but you don't. 
That's the problem. You don't know what tomorrow might hold. You could be here today and quite frankly gone tomorrow. None of us know. Life hangs by a slender thread. What are you going to do about Jesus tonight? The choice is yours. We're preaching to you. Saints all over this building are praying for you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Jesus waits with his arms outstretched, ready to receive you. What are you going to do? Those invitations that I got to go to Old Trafford, at least one of them I really regretted missing. But what was that in the grand scheme of things? Nothing. This invitation is much more important. In fact, it's vital. And our desire tonight is for you to come and trust the Lord Jesus Christ because you may never have another opportunity. May God help you so today. Pastor Murray.